0: All right, welcome to another episode of the Innovate for Impact podcast. You've got Dan Bentley here and as per usual, I'm joined by Tracy Newman from Impacto Consulting. Today, we've got a pretty special episode planned for you all. We usually like to talk about the benefits of co-design and collaboration and we're usually talking about it from your perspective as in the leaders. Today, we've got a really cool episode in store for you. We've actually got Saran Chamberlain and also Nicola Browning and they're going to share with us their experience as people with lived experience. Experience being involved in a co-design project. So we're hoping this is going to really help our listeners to understand what, is, what are people that are involved in your projects actually getting out of this and get them to share their story of how they did get involved in a particular project that they've been inputting into and co-designing with an organisation for the last couple of months or so. So welcome, uh, Saran and Nicola, to the podcast.
1: Thanks for having us. Thanks, Dan, for having us. And Tracy, lovely to be here. So
2: good to have you joining us.
0: So, look, let's start it off like we normally do. I don't know who would like to go first, but would one of you like to jump in and just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your story and how did you get involved in the project that, you've, that you're have that you involved in?
3: My name is Saran and I'm the Engagement Project Officer for Stroke Foundation's Young Stroke Project. I got involved because I had a stroke nine years ago when I was 38, found that I and my kids were three, seven and nine at the time. It was a fairly big hit. Um, I suppose I was completely paralyzed on my left. And at the time, there really wasn't anything out there. I, I just felt really alone. I didn't know anyone else. I didn't actually have anything, anyone, anything to do with anyone else for about four years of who'd had a stroke. So uh, yeah, this is, this is really
0: exciting. Ah, oh, thanks for sharing that. And what about you, Nicola? How did you get involved in this project?
1: My daughter, Beth, was 19 when she had a stroke. She was um, a student nurse at the time. And I come from, yeah, quite a long nursing background of 30 plus years. And my specialty had been in neurosciences, nursing and critical care. So I found myself completely on the other side as mum. Beth's stroke wasn't preventable. And what we did was we actually got involved after her stroke. She'd left hospital after about 10 days. Very interesting experience as a young person within hospital she just said I want to turn something negative into a positive and we found the Stroke Foundation and we did some fundraising so that's how we came across the Stroke Foundation to start with and then we got emails and eventually we got an email about the Young Stroke Project and I showed it to Beth and said what do you think and she said well I'd, I'd love to be involved I want to change some of those negatives into positives that she experienced feeling very alone people not really understanding how to to care for a young person at only 19. A lot of the services are very much kind of around that older or more physically affected people after stroke. And Beth's challenges were mainly hidden. She lost her speech, but that recovered within 24 hours. So she didn't really fall into those categories of needing a lot of physiotherapy and a lot of other services. So it was easy to discharge her early back to home with family. However, we've now found out through stroke that neurofatigue fatigue and a lot of those things that continue are a real challenge to returning to life again. So it's a long journey, I guess, to how we got involved but it was very early in Beth's recovery journey that we got involved with young stroke project met wonderful people like saran and felt very alone till that time so we became members of the lived experience working group and that's where it all began and that was literally i think about six months after beth had had her stroke so very early days for us and um, it was a lifeline
2: that's interesting that you describe getting to be involved in a project like this as being a real lifeline and and the connections that you've been able to build and the positive impact that that's, that that's had on you. So uh, it's lovely to hear and really interested to hear a little bit more about that as well.
0: Can you explain a little bit, what is the Young Stroke Project that the Stroke Foundation is uh, running?
3: So the project itself started in 2020 and it was funded by NDIS, which is now Department of Social Services, to basically provide resources for young stroke aged from 18 to 65. And it changed quite a lot. Um, I didn't, I suppose I didn't actually start until about six months in, although I was part of the lived experience working group initially but then bringing in someone with lived experience helped help the organisation itself i suppose stop looking at actually looking within lived experience so it did change a bit in that you know i suppose stroke foundation thought that resources were required but once we actually sort of started getting getting more information and speaking with other people the biggest thing that people wanted as with with beth and nicola was they wanted to feel heard they wanted to feel like they belong and that, you know, and not alone, you know, we, we started, I suppose, looking at what people actually wanted, which was to resonate. So we did videos such as fatigue, which was sort of about different people actually talking about their experiences so that other people could sort of go, yeah, I, I get that, you know. And so that was, that was actually the real start of, of, of that co-design was actually. Stroke Foundation, the Young Stroke Project really listened to people like myself and Beth and Nicola and the Lived Experience Working Group to help guide the actual project.
1: Yeah, and I think the other part of that was that we managed to get quite a broad um, I guess representation of lived experience so there were people who probably I think at the time Beth was one of the most recent people who recently had a stroke and been in within the health services but then a number of the other lived experience members of the group have been beyond their recovery for I think even 20 plus years so the wisdom and the sharing and those journeys although very different I think particularly for Beth and myself coming into those groups was there was just nuggets of gold all the time from those people about what had helped, what the challenges were. Some were hopeful and some very realistic. And as much as you you could take as much away from that and use that and research more and, and read more, that things that we didn't know that were out there, like you could participate in research. And as much as I was a health professional, it was very different being on the other side and knowing how to support Beth to get what she was looking for. And for her, the biggest, impact I think being on a ward was she she wasn't really seeing anyone else that was there that was like her. So what Saran was saying about identifying with someone else who was in their teens, you know, and looking at them and saying, well, what was your life like after a stroke? And did you get back to study? Did you get back to work? Did you get back to life? Could you drive again? All of these things that you get in resource and information packs, but it's not really from the, the voices of those people that maybe resonate more so with your story or your journey. It, it's really, really quite amazing being in a room. And I was a supporter, you know, parent, carer, whatever phrase you want to, use for that but coming into that group with people who all had their own lived experience I was able to take so much away and we could talk as a family and sort of say well this is what I heard and does this resonate with you and do you think that would be helpful so it gave us I guess those tools tips and comfort and reassurance to ask the right questions at the right time. And so for us to work
3: out I suppose sort of where the biggest gaps were, we held roundtables which were facilitated by Genius Network, Caleb Brixon. So we wanted to make sure that, and we've learnt a lot with this, is having a non-biased approach, having, you know, and even when I was speaking with with the project team, we have a health professional background and digital background are the other two project coordinators, Bev and Catherine, and they're beautiful and amazing people. But they had a certain biased and a certain perception of what the project was um, from their perspective. Coming in as fellow trauma survivors, supporters, health professionals even, you know, we were able to sort of, we asked three, three questions, which was what helped your journey uh, recovery journey, what hindered your journey and what would have been the best sort of outcome. And from that, we were able to sort of find three massive gaps or, or, or real needs of, of young stroke survivors. So again, this was driven by stroke survivors, which was really, really good.
2: I like the idea that you started so broadly with those questions and that you sort of acknowledge that that it's usual for people who become part of a project to have biases and how important it is to just be aware of those and to note those and to be able to sort of put those to, to one side and, and really ask those broad questions and have the co-design actually be led by the people with lived experience and, and to be able to really openly listen and be really curious. I think that makes a, a, a really big difference. Was that part of, like was that your experience? Did you feel heard throughout that process? So I think it was
3: quite, um, it was, it was a different approach for Stroke Foundation. So we'd learned about co-design. We'd, um, attended some of your webinars, which was fantastic, but putting it into practice was actually really hard considering that the organization had always worked on the way of, and again, great intentions. However, they weren't actually really listening and hearing hearing what what stroke survivors needed. So, you know, we found that, I suppose, even dealing with the lived experience working group, we were catching up once a month. But for the first year, one, we were all sort of getting used to each other. There were lots and lots of different personalities, but we were also working a lot in the background. And for us to try and work out okay, it was literally we were just sort of throwing them information and sort of saying this is what we've done, this is what we've done, this is what we're doing, and the lived experience working group were really confused first up, you know, because it was sort of the case of, well, what exactly are we here for? So we did an evaluation at the end of the year, which was great, kind of good, kind of bad, because we sort of, we certainly found out the truths. But what it did was it really worked out, you know, I suppose we, you know, we we work equivalent to full time so we were always doing things but to then update people was was really quite difficult and to understand what the co-design was and and how we actually implement and and basically ask for the the feedback but so what we actually did was it, it seemed really weird first of all because we literally stopped <laughs> and kind of went okay well this isn't working let's go back to the lived experience working group and let's say this isn't working what is it that you want and i must admit that first up it still was quite confusing because some people wanted a lot of information some people didn't some people wanted to have a lot to do with it others didn't so it was it was really trying to work out that that dynamics but what we did work out was when we when we did and i say truly implement co-design we slowed down but our production was so much better it was you know we we were able to sort of stop and say okay does this work and people could say yes or no and then we had the different feedback we developed different podcasts we developed videos we developed blogs you know we had people actually pitching their own information and their stories to share with others i, I suppose it took probably About 15 months to really truly implement that co-design and once it did it was quite an amazing path sort of change but but it was so much for the better it was great
0: yeah that's so interesting what like why why did it speed up the production
1: I, I think probably because it had gone from a very structured project that was funded through a certain way, there would need to be deliverables and outcomes coming from a project background and being able to sit in that space, having been involved in other projects. In the past, I was quite able to go in as a lived experience person, but take something else from my history to question things. And I think, you know, it started to question about was this truly co-designed? So things like the people who are attending being paid for their attendance and acknowledging the the true dedication and time not you know people purely advocating it was they're giving time they want to produce stuff they want to see the outcome so it shifted I think from what Saran said to it was positive, people were listening, the surveys allowed you to be really open with your feedback to say, we want to be producing more, doing more. But then there were others who said, no, coming to the meetings and doing that is enough. So then I guess the important shift was empowering people to say, well, what pitch do you want to do? So I was one of the only support crew or parent carers on the group so felt really responsible for filling those gaps and getting out to community to say who else would like to fill those gaps so the pitching was I think the turning points around I think definitely the project team had listened they'd really taken the time and it was that project lift where you almost go through a bit of a plateauing time but it lifted from there and I think everyone had clarity and so much was shared at that time with one another that then it set the scene for a new beginning almost with like you said that true co-design.
3: I actually think the biggest turn was when Stroke Foundation with the project recognised the value of the lived experience working group and started paying them contribution fees because there were so many different perceptions on voluntary roles, yet once we sort of, once we had those contributions, that value of the lived experience, of that, you know, no one can teach the lived experience and we would never want anyone to to, you know, go through it. But the lived experience is is so undervalued, it's not funny.
1: I was gonna say, Saran, it was everyone doing it their way. So like you would you would do those videos with other people to try and draw people in if they weren't sure what to do themselves, but you took them on that journey as well to give them confidence and you know, come up with topics and encourage people. So I think as a lived experience being involved in that project, you were able to take those of us who maybe felt a bit nervous and insecure to even be on a camera or hear their voice. So I think you showing them the way. Yeah. And even the value of
3: the support crew,
1: that was a really big thing
3: I think that we recognised was that whilst someone who's had a stroke obviously goes through their own trauma, the support crew do as well. So people like Nicola, people like my my mum, but even those who say, for example, who have had strokes who are unconscious and in comas the family and the support crew are conscious this whole time I know lots of stroke survivors who' basically said look I've lost three months of my life yet their family are still reliving that sort of trauma that was another thing that we really recognized was that there isn't enough support for the support crew because whilst they haven't they don't have any brain injury or anything like that they have a massive amount of trauma because you know they they went through to, to a point with some of them who thought they were going to lose their loved one. Yeah, and so that's really scary. That's that, And that was the biggest thing as well. Again, recognising these things that I think wouldn't have been recognised if we hadn't have this had this co-design and had people actually speaking and then us listening.
2: It's so incredibly powerful. I'm listening to you talk. I'm feeling moved about just how much value you actually got from sitting quietly and doing that deep listening and actually just allowing people to express what's real for them. And I think sometimes we see a little bit of a reluctance to, and rightly so, you know, we want to be careful when we're getting people to share their trauma that we're not re-traumatising them. But I think sometimes... We don't listen because we're so scared that we're going to re-traumatise people that we inadvertently don't give them an opportunity to do something that could be really helpful and powerful for both parties.
1: It's a lot more painful and a lot more traumatic from my personal experience of no one actually asking me, how was I? You know, in my eyes, I could have lost my daughter. Yes, she was walking and talking and looking okay, but it's those external assumptions, you know, that people make when they look at someone who's had a stroke and they think that they're doing fine. And that goes to this day, but it is traumatic nearly thinking you're going to lose your child no matter. And and I I think I almost would have, I downplayed it at that time, but I, that's one of the things when we do some of the education and share lived experience with health professionals. It's exactly that, Tracy, that you've made a good point. It's to say, please talk to us. Please ask us. We want to share and we're desperate to talk to someone. But at that acute time in hospital, it's very much all about the young person and them and their recovery and then you're discharged and it's too late and you've missed the window and then you're on your own and that's certainly not just my experience but those of others that I've met now through all of this you know work that we've been doing it's actually we're forgotten because it's the acuity of the situation or the critical care like you've said and sometimes yeah it's better to have a conversation it's like when someone passes away or you don't want to ask because you don't want to upset but you ask most people do you want to be asked yeah you just want to know someone cares so it really is that important I think to ask those questions and just it's a checking in are you okay how are you doing?
3: There's also the difference with the so if I'm being the engagement project coordinator. What's been that turning point is that I can speak with people who have lived experience. So you know, a lot of people get sympathy. Oh, like, oh, I'm so sorry, and we don't necessarily we don't necessarily want that, you know. So I'm able to speak to someone, and I spoke to someone once, and she just cried, and I said it's crap, <laughs> and and that was it, you know. And so it did it didn't trigger me, but it was that someone else understands. So there's a lot of that where, where I do all of the engagement that I do most of the first contact with people. When we do our conversations, when we have any conversations, they are started with me. And if obviously there, if there is any trauma and triggering, then we obviously recommend a stroke line. But generally a lot of people have wanted that connection with other stroke survivors. That's probably one of the biggest sort of findings that we have had in that people just wanted to speak to someone else a little bit further down the track to think, am I going to be okay? That's the biggest thing that I suppose has actually come out of this project is, is actually sort of seeing that you know people want that connection.
2: Are you looking for innovative ways for your organisation to deliver more impact? Take our online assessment and receive a customised report in your inbox that highlights exactly what to do next. It takes only five minutes to fill out and it's completely free. Visit impactoconsulting.com.au slash self-assessment. You mentioned your nursing background and that you've been a nurse, Nicola, for a very long time, but this was sort of your first experience, I guess, of experiencing you know a situation like this through that plus also the work that you've been doing with this co-design project has that also influenced the way that you
1: work? Yeah it's interesting a short answer to that is um, I had experienced this on a number of occasions through my life because I had a grandmother who had a traumatic brain injury loved ones and you know my mother-in-law having strokes working in that space and more recently having a very close friend have a stroke. So it's always been an impact that when you're in a community as a nurse, and I was working non-clinically at that time, so I had a different job in youth mental health and I was working in a, a projects and governance role. So it was very not in that hospital situation. But you draw as a nurse on all of your years, whether you're working now in a clinical space or not. The way it has done for me is that I want to go into those hospital spaces i want to be able to share lived experience to tell those stories to maybe support other clinicians who they're doing great work but they're under great pressure and just really advocating for taking the time with the whole family. And even when someone looks well, being sure to find out who they are as a person, what's happening in their life. You know, what challenges did they face even before? Don't take things on face value and make those assumptions. So I think mine is an advocating role now in my community and seeing what differences I can make with my lived experience, but also bring in that clinical and and other life experience to say, It's really important that we address some of these gaps and improve the practices and best practices of all health professionals that, Take care of young stroke patients, whether that's in the hospital, whether that's in the community. And the biggest gap was that there weren't services provided, and researchers are now working on that. They're pushing for funding. It gets political. So I think I'm probably more on my soapbox more than ever with a passion that means, and Beth's now a registered nurse. She's qualified during her recovery, and she's now a nurse. In there doing it, she's taking probably more to her workplace now, having lived experience of stroke, young stroke, and also her cardiac condition. She had to have heart surgery to close the hole that caused it originally. So her passions lay very much there in nursing now and children. She's very passionate about that. So I think my world now is very much support her on her recovery journey still as she's a clinician and do what I can still with the Stroke Foundation and the lived experience to support health professionals who are out there and what I would tell them is I share my burnout story because I burn out and I left work and I haven't returned yet after what happened to Beth but also what we experienced as a ripple effect and so I became a carer during that time, even not not in a physical sense, but in that emotional sense. And what I would say is I've now got, I've come through that recovery following what happened with Beth. And I hope that I can support and, and share that lived experience now, which I am doing with health professionals and carers because carer stress is very real even though it looks very different. So that's something, again, lived experience in the Stroke Foundation, that's part of my pitching and some of the work I've been doing to maybe come on a podcast, write a blog, be as vulnerable and raw as I can be in, in, a, in a boundaries kind of way <laughs> to yeah share a story that if one person listens to that and it resonates, then you hope that that's made a difference. And working with Genius more recently to actually start the first support crew coffee clubs where people can come together instead of talking about it I just reached out to Cal and said let's just get this done and how can I help you and what can we do and we launched the first one last week where we brought people together so they won't feel isolated like I did it and they can find others that can meet with them. So I think lived experience is also the most powerful thing about it is being able to say, you're not just talking, even though talking and storytelling is therapeutic and healing, you're actually doing something and getting things done. So you're changing the system or, you know, filling the gaps. So that's a long-winded answer, Tracy. <laughs> But it's the passion kicks in and and it's given me a new life and a new energy and purpose. I mean, you couldn't finish that sentence without saying as a nurse, it was always about purpose and one, wanting to take care of others or make a difference. And that's absolutely what's given me a new lease of life. So, yeah, people like Saram, it's contagious. <laughs>
0: It's so great hearing this because, you know, we we don't hear this from everybody, but there are leaders out there when we do talk about involving people with lived experience, like sometimes kind of they cringe and they get a little bit scared about doing this. And I think you've just listed so many, I mean, you've almost listed about 20 minutes of benefits of what it's been like <laughs> for both of you to be involved in this project.
1: Yeah, and if if they're not sure, yeah, come come and talk to Saran and I. We talk to any CEO and any organisation to say this is how you can do it well.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's just and on so many different levels, it's been beneficial. You know, I, I think sometimes when people do think about this, and, and the fear comes from I don't want to disturb people, or I don't want to, you know, like Tracy said, necessarily get people to come go through their trauma, or that I don't want to um, extract things from people you know and and there is a way to do it there is a way to to do it in it that's non-tasteful and it's not a great experience but if it is done well i mean we just heard so many benefits of everybody gets out of it not just the people of lived experience but the organization as well and that's what can can happen which is just amazing and which which is what it's all about and it, and it goes deeper than just remuneration right like re- remuneration is important but it's more than that
1: Yeah. And I think we've just done a blog as well. And I I involve my entire family. So Beth has a brother and sister. So it was literally having a list of questions that we all answered from our own perspective. And I even got my mum, who's a nana, and auntie, and they're in the UK, to all write their own perspectives. And the big part of this for us after so long is we, we celebrated how far Beth had come through her recovery and what she'd achieved, which I want to encourage all families. It's actually the celebrations as well, not, not you know, all the challenges along the way. We, we're celebrating lots too, which is so, we need that energy as well as part of rehabilitation because there's another goal to kick always. And, and I think it gives closure, that there's a certain amount of closure that everyone's now kind of worked beyond that. And Beth's taken us on that journey. And that's something else I would also leave, the lived experience that we share. We talk about in our own homes, don't we, surround with our own families? So what it's doing at that time is it's giving this some positive energy, which means, and like my husband says quite often, Beth isn't defined by the fact she's had a stroke and her diagnosis, and that's one of the most powerful things. I think he he kept also reiterating, it's that normalizing. So things like lived experience, I think, and listen to others, there's a great deal that you can... That you can take which yeah you go on a journey but you can have closure and then a new part and a new chapter begins so
0: it is great Uh, what are some ways that you have been involved or even others have been involved in you know using these lived experiences to be able to build these positive outcomes for both the people that are uh, involved and participating as well as the organization and the people that this project is going to be helping in the future how the outcomes of the project is going to be helping in the future yeah what what are some of the ways that you've been involved we've had pitching so we basically ask people and
3: say what
0: is it that you would like to have
3: heard and so people have written blogs we have one who's written about sexuality because there's a lot of things that just aren't spoken of we've talked about people who have problems you know in the disability you know trying to get around things like that we initially did some videos, they were professional videos, of people who we didn't want to focus on, say, that they'd had a catastrophic stroke and blah, blah, blah. We wanted to say, say these people have had a stroke, but they've lived from here. And it was interesting because we actually had some feedback saying, okay, these people look fine. So where are those struggles? So we did some Zoom interviews, which is what I've done, and it's very much like this and just asking the questions and we've done little snippets. But, yeah, we're having podcasts and and we look at it as in, um, well, for, for me even, the things that I'm doing and the things that I'm trying to sort of have other people be involved in is if I can make someone's journey shorter by you know, mine's nine years. If I can get someone to a point of eight years and 360 days to the point where I am now, well, then that's a win. You know, there's lots of things I wish I'd done. But then again, part of me sort of thinks, well, I wouldn't be where I was if I hadn't hit a whole lot of brick walls as I had. But we're basically saying, look, what do you want? What do you want? to be able to see what do you want to be able to see at the end of this project and so people are choosing their own journey where you know it's, it's kind of a like you know one of those pick your own adventures kind of like let's go this way or let's go this way they're sharing that with us and that's really really good and again stroke foundation is giving them that opportunity giving them that platform to actually sort of publicize that to to publish their own work yeah and it's it's really good
1: there's some really good content as well with topics like getting back to work getting back to your passions you know for people who can't go back to work what does that look like so I think people really exploring things that well that didn't happen for me but if I was looking to do that then where do I go what services Um, what resources are there how can I find out about that and that's something else we found listening to a lot of people and the surveys is people can't find what they're looking for they have to search multiple places so what the outcome we hope will be is people have one place one location with as much content that is relatable to them and accessible. So then there's people who have, you know, challenge with aphasia, whether they're, you know, they've got challenges reading, so watching or listening is easier. So people talking about that cognitive fatigue as well, how best is it that they can find the information or their loved ones if they need that support from their loved ones and also their loved ones finding support and information that's relevant to them. So it's it surrounds the whole family and friends and workplace but also somewhere we hope health professionals will come and find what they're looking for to have those conversations with their patients and say, hey, we found this as well. We really want them to explore it. So I think that's a really awesome part. But also I was going to say the other things around, like your research that you're participating in, I've participated in research. I've joined other committees and other projects that are out there at the moment. So one that I've just got involved with was mind CBD, which is the cardiovascular disease. And it's the mind aspects to an episode, either a stroke or a cardiac arrest or cardiac condition. And the Stroke Foundations come together with the Heart Foundation, and they're bringing lived experience in to look at, you know, what do those events mean from the mental health s- sort of perspectives as well and what do people need? How can we get those resources? So there's just layer and layer and layer. And then the Flory Institute are now going to focus with their project on young stroke and services and filling these gaps. So we're now starting to really see a real momentum. And the nice thing is people like Saran and I can, you know, get involved in in these things as well that, you know, may help you yourself loved ones but also others and continue to be the voice and encourage other people to know what's out there because you you know unless you're in it you don't always know yeah we're hoping that landing page of young stroke project will be somewhere where people can find all the things we all couldn't
0: are there any other learnings or that the organizations had or even that you've had by being on this journey with with all these people and 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 learning from so many different perspectives that you'd like to share with us
3: I must say that when I first started at Stroke Foundation I actually felt really out of place because they're all health professionals and it was it was very much like I wasn't like I felt like an imposter because you know I'd had a stroke and so I was in there but it was really quite difficult to um I suppose sort of find my place. And someone helped me find my voice. And once I found my voice and, you know, they were sort of in trouble. But um no, in, in all honesty, I I think, you know, well what this has done is really given me that confidence and being able to show as as Nicola's been saying, is showing actually our value in things like research. In you know, I'm I'm involved in research, I'm involved in championing other research trials themselves, as well as other steering committees and that kind of thing. So people are actually seeing what has been done in the Young Stroke Project and recognising that lived experience value. I know in South Australia, our community of practice stroke, their education group are looking at what we're producing in the Young Stroke Project so that they can use for their health professionals and in the acute stage and that kind of thing. So there's yeah, there's there's an amazing amount of things sort of as that flow on. And yeah, it's 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 really exciting to see and and really good to actually sort of see that that the value of lived experience is being recognised. I think that there hasn't been that much over the last few years, but it's certainly on the up.
1: Yeah, I think there's been I mean I, I guess I put some of this down when Beth was applying for her first job, you know, and she was saying, gosh, we've done so much, mum, but I probably need to use this in my application. And, you know, h- how should I put that in there? Um, and And the opportunities that have come for her because she's been, she's participated in something like lived experience and co-design as a student. Whereas in a lot of settings, people still don't even know that word. What does that word mean? And how does that make a difference? Or why would I get involved as that as a health professional or, you know, someone with lived experience? So I think that's great, because she's probably an advocate of this kind of a process now. But what we both felt we'd actually, I guess, grown as people. But she took me on this journey. I mean, that you know, she's inspired me to... I was not brave enough to have a voice to even do a podcast or a radio interview. And I remember talking to her and I was so scared. And I'm like, I talk about role reversal. She's like, come on, mum, we can do this. This is what we said, we want to make a difference. And so she's inspired us as a family for all of us to keep going. And she set that bar. And I think that's something... As support crew I've learned the most she tells us when what you know where how and you know we just we're, we're there by her side and I think that's the biggest learning I've had has been Because we entered this together, it could be a challenge for some families. I'm very privileged to have had that relationship with her, but we've maintained our relationship through very tricky challenges. But lived experience in this project gave us a platform to do that together. And there was no, I didn't become too much the parent. I listened and then learned to navigate, didn't always get it right. So what lived experience can do for families is very powerful. But I think also things like knowing that you're, Improving quality of healthcare in some way. You know, are we changing a system? Well, maybe. And it doesn't have to be huge, big changes, but we always talk about, oh, it's the system, it's not the people, it's not the health professionals, because they were all wonderful, the people that cared for Beth. But yes, we know the system. <laughs> so these kind of things, and that's something I'd be saying to the CEOs if you want your system to change, then empower the people within your organization to show you how to change that. And youth mental health showed me. That. There were young people and carers in that space where I only had a very small moment of time of lived experience. But what I took away from that was hugely powerful and it stayed with me to go, if they're brave enough with what they've been through and the ages they are to use their voice for change, then why wouldn't we just be vulnerable and be brave and and. Do it if it can improve things and finding community, which Saran and I we started this with friends, and one day hopefully we'll get to be in person. And I think I talked to you as well before when we were saying we've started this journey all on virtual and it's been virtual the entire time through the pandemic but we have built relationships trust you know we've collaborated and so even you know the virtual world can be empowering and and bring people together yet we often say it doesn't give you that presence and that personal touch but i would say it's been it's proved to be quite the opposite it's connected me more with people that get it than than I ever imagined and um, the people have been the most amazing part of this I think as well as the Stroke Foundation to say we will do this and they've dedicated their time but I listened to your podcast about strategy and budget I only hope in those final outcomes and by series two lived experience is you know a longer term vision and mission as well to continue to keep those people engaged to continue to make change and, and improvement. So that's how I'd end it. It's also wanting the future and it, to continue in the future or else I think it would be a shame to lose that momentum.
0: Thank you so much for sharing all those stories, the learnings, what you've gotten out of it, what the organization's been able to achieve and the project's been able to achieve. I just have found that as being such an interesting conversation both from a mind perspective and also a heart perspective because you know, I think it's just so powerful when people can turn these types of experiences into into positives and I just love how Both of you and the people that are involved with this project uh, are using these experiences to make the world a better place for others that may go through similar types of events. So, I just wanted to thank you both for, first of all, joining us for the last 45 minutes or so talking about this, but also just being so open and vulnerable around your stories as well. I just think that has been just absolutely beautiful to be able to share it on this podcast. And I also, one other thing I wanted to say too is I just, Think this is fantastic because both of you actually reached out to us to come onto the podcast and i just encourage anybody else out there that if you've got a story like this to share to reach out to us because yeah as you can you know you've listened to this for the last 45 minutes we weren't aware of all these things that were happening in this particular project and to be able to get access to that has just been great for our listeners, I think. So if you do have a similar story and you'd like to um, share that with us on the podcast to see if that's appropriate, just email us at podcast at impactoconsulting.com.au and uh, we'll speak to you more about that. So thank you so much. Hey, if people would like to check out more about the project, Saran, do you have some links that people could check out that we can put in the show notes?
3: Yeah, sure. I mean, we've got Young Stroke Project um, and we have obviously Stroke Foundation. And there's also Genius Network, which is a peer-to-peer trauma survivor network, which is huge. It's great. And that's what Nicola was talking about with the coffee club. So I think there are other other others,
1: Nicola? I think that's a really good start and then I think if we put our links in for LinkedIn maybe and people want to reach out and connect then we would love to talk to anyone anytime really and also if your organization's thinking about a project and you want to talk to people with lived experience and you know whether you should do it or not I guess we'd love that conversation if we could support you in any That'd way so, so <laughs> yeah <laughs> so thanks so much for having us
0: no absolutely our pleasure so we'll put all the links to both your profiles and also to the the other websites that you mentioned in the show notes so people can check that out but hey thanks again so much saran and and nicola it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today, and thanks again for sharing all that information with us and our listeners thanks for listening to another episode of the innovate for impact podcast any links to what we spoke about today will be posted in the show notes If you'd like to know more about social innovation, visit our website where we have a heap of tools to help you on your way. Visit impactoconsulting.com.au. Thanks for listening. Now go out there and make an impact.